Hello, everyone. Today is another episode of the Anime News and Reviews podcast. Um, I will be sort of your, I guess, kind of your uh, main host for today, uh, Blake. Um, sadly, Austin could not uh, join us. He will uh, be doing some uh, parental things at the moment behind the scenes. Um, but uh, yeah, for today, it'll just be uh, me and uh, Colton. Me. Guys, through our uh, third episode, uh, this is actually our third review. My bad of uh, the rebuild of Evangelion series. So this is the third movie in the four film series that we'll be covering today. Uh, Evangelion 3.0 of the rebuild series. You cannot redo, I believe, because the first one was "You Are Not Alone." Second mm-hmm. one was "You yeah. Cannot Advanced." So yeah. Uh, so this movie, it actually opens up. You shall not pass. You know, honestly, <laughs> I saw that with like the parentheses around it. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm getting some low-key, you know, <laughs> states, a little bit of a Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, you know, getting off the grave vibe. That'd be crazy. Could you imagine the Lord of the Rings freaking... Yeah, all these uh, cross-cultural uh, pop culture references. I can't help but wonder if maybe they did do that on purpose just for that to see if any folks over in the states in America would get that or kind of take stock of it. There'd be so much heavy breathing going on, dude. Oh my God. <laughs> well, heck, uh, Magic the Gathering, uh, they're actually doing a Lord of the Rings uh, set in like 2023. Ooh! So you'll actually be able to build your own decks around your favorite Lord of the Rings cards. So, That's uh, super dope, though. I, you know, do that with what you will. I'm hoping we get a card for... Uh, the uh, Balrog. If not, I'll be a little disappointed, but yeah. Yeah, that's super cool they do that. It is. It's nice to see. Yeah. Um, they yeah. also recently in the other the Magic set, the Vampire one, they released uh, a card with some new artwork on it for one of the legendary Planeswalkers in it uh, by Ayami uh, Kojima. Um, before we get involved in here, I think it's really yeah. cool to share. Um, I just saw today. Um, it drops next week. Um, I don't know if I told you guys that I still play Fortnite. Um, well, I guess I'm just talking to you. Um, but I mean, I, I play the crap out of Fortnite, Blake. Um, that's, fair. that's fair, man. You know, it's... it's I mean, listen, I played it. I played it back when it was in beta mode, and you only had to put a wall and a ramp, and people didn't know what to do then. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I've yeah. really played it since season one. So, like, it's just a game that, like, I'm decent at. Like, I can't build like crazy or anything. Like, I'm not good. I'm just That's decent. Um, but they... No, oh, my gosh, Blake! They're literally about to get my whole next paycheck because they just dropped a freaking... They said, Fortnite X Naru, Naruto Shippuden. I was like, you gotta be shitting I knew it was only a matter of time before we were getting a Naruto crossover. With you got to be pooping me! Literally one of the biggest games I've played. You the next one either One Piece or Bleach. I have a funny feeling that's going to be one Wait. of the next big ones. How much of One Piece have you watched? Oh, man. One Piece for me, I think I remember watching a decent amount through like the East Blue storyline, and then I think there were parts of it that I missed, but I kind of saw like the last bit of that specific arc okay. with uh, Luffy mm-hmm. and the gang uh, when they go to Alabasta and they deal with Crocodile. Okay, so like, I'm I'm only like 22 episodes in, and like it is such a good like. What have I been doing, man? Like, yeah, it's, it's actually a pretty decently well made uh, series about pirates, but pirates with superpowers. Some of them because of fruit, which, but then of course the whole caveat being if you eat the fruit, you can't swim. I'm like that is bonkers. Yeah, 
anyway, sorry. Yeah, off track. A little off track, but all right. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so Evangelion 3.0, you cannot redo. Uh, so the movie opens up, so keep in mind here, so at this point, it's actually in the universe of these films, there has been a time skip. So the movie opens up, we see this whole operation kind of taking place in space. We don't exactly know it's in space until we start to kind of hear uh, some of the dialogue from the characters. And it sounds like they're on comms, but it sounds like something that you'd be doing if you're like either in like a deep sea operation or maybe something in outer space, which we do find out later they're in space. And um, yeah. basically, uh, the uh, rogue organization, they've kind of split apart from Nerve and have kind of decided to go off on their own, try and help stop them and restore uh, kind of Earth back to the way it was. And if they can't do that, then try and help humanity survive in whichever way they can. Um, I believe they call themselves a villa. And they're led by uh, Captain Misato Katsuragi. And uh, so they decide to go and launch Operation US, which is what we see at the beginning, the opening of the film. And so Asuka, she's in the Evangelion Unit 2. And Mari is backing her up in the Evangelion Unit 8 of hers. And um, so they're deployed. They're kind of like shot out. We don't really see them get shot out into space. It's kind of just suddenly, you know, they're in space and it's going down. We're kind of like right in the middle of it. Uh, but yeah, so they're eventually deployed into space from Earth's orbit by Misato to help recover the uh, Evangelion Unit 1 from this object that's it's only referred to in this movie as the Tesseract. I don't believe this was ever a thing in the original NGE series. Isn't that what Optimus Prime wanted? <laughs> uh, no, you might be thinking of Loki from the yep. Avengers. What was what was the what was the uh, thing in the Transformers? Uh, you know, I don't remember. It was some kind of a cube. That's all I remember. But um, what the heck was it? Yeah, I thought it was like a blade or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, oh, the All Spark. That's it. Yeah. Like an NGK spark plug or something for them things, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. So somehow at some point, so we went from the ending of the second movie with uh, Shinji. He was still inside of uh, Ava Unit 1. And uh, at that point, he had caused the unit to become awakened. It's really the only way we have to describe it. It kind of basically almost became an atom which in the series we find out there's like four or five of them. And so then it ends up becoming a new life form, an atom itself, but it's also an Evangelion unit, and Evangelion units are usually powered by some kind of a soul or spirit yeah, in their core. So it basically becomes its own unique thing, and his ability of you know pushing himself over the edge physically and mentally just to harness this level of power that only he could weld being the pilot of Evangelion Unit 1 and his mom being in the core of Evangelion Unit 1, which, granted, we still don't know at this point. But And uh, so that whole thing almost starts the uh, near third impact, and then it's around that point when he actually manages to save the original Rei, Ayanami. Uh, so he manages to save her from whatever kind of dimension or space she was in, or at least it looked like he managed to save her. And then 
once that whole thing happens, we see a uh, Kawaru or Kauru, uh, Nagasai. Uh, he shows up in Evangelion Unit Six, and he has the Spear of Cassius, which he throws down and immobilizes uh, the Ava Unit One. So that was kind of like what happened the last time we saw uh, Shinji in Unit One was it being stopped at that moment, and then. At that point, we're still not exactly sure what the heck happened after all that. Just that it was prevented from becoming an energy-based being. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so at this point, Asuka and Mari and their Evangelion units, they're trying to rescue Shinji, who's believed to still be inside of the Evangelion Unit 1 in the Tesseract, which is kind of like a coffin. It's just kind of floating in space in Earth's orbit. We don't know at what point if... Uh, Gendo or Fuyutsuki, somebody from Nerve, or what's left of it, shot it out into Earth's orbit. We don't know at what point in time they decided to do that, um, or if they just decided they had no use for Shinji anymore. It's kind of actually a little brutal to think about. That Dude, that is so Shinji's own dad kind of left him for dead and just shot him that out in space. Was... Like, my son's no longer useful to me. Uh, like, fuck you, Gendo. <laughs> That's a dickhead. So honestly, that wouldn't surprise me. Seriously. Yeah, like, apparently, I guess he was, he was sealed away inside of it by the end of 2.0. We just never, once again, we never really had scenes for it that we got to see. Um, but yeah, so that, I guess that's, that's their way of explaining why he's in the Tesseract and it's floating around in a, a Earth's orbit. So before the launch, Asuka, she... Um, kind of has this spat with Mari about um, whether or not she should wear her old plug suit in case it helps stir up some memories for Shinji or the Unit 1, whatever's going on there, just to see a familiar face or anything remotely familiar, period. Um, but yeah, she ends up wearing her old plug suit, makes a repair um, for maybe, like I said before, for Shinji to recognize them. Um, they're not even sure if they'll be able to recover him, though. So, originally, Mari was supposed to lead the operation, so that Asuka ends up leading it instead, Operation U.S. Um, so then, during it, the two of them, uh, they're in space, they're making their way towards the Tesseract when they are ambushed by several of the Nemesis series. They're sort of these, like, a little kind of drones that were kind of manufactured in mass, and very cheaply, I will say. Uh, by whatever's left of Gendo and Fuyutsuki's nerve. So now at this point, they're kind of confirmed to be, for sure, villains of the series. And um, Mari ends up losing some altitude. How fast do you think they those together? Oh my god, dude. It, I, it, they make it all sound like it's it's happening so fast, like the way they're able to get all this stuff together and resources and fuel. Like, and together with tape and hot glue, like chill. Yeah, it's like, god damn. <laughs> so Asuka is kind of forced to face off against the Nemesis series uh, Evangelion units alone, uh, while Mari's kind of off in her own thing, trying to regain her position. And uh, eventually she kind of ends up getting swarmed by them, and so then she kind of ends up yelling at Shinji over her comms and her Evangelion unit to do something at some point, <laughs> to, like, save her or do something, because now she's getting frustrated and pissed off and worried she might die on the low. 
so then we see this kind of I-beam end up shooting out from the Tesseract coffin from Evangelion, you know, one. It's almost just like really quick laser beam just kind of does like a one little swirl, just obliterates all the Nemesis units <laughs> without even trying. <laughs> you just kind of briefly see that red eye looking back at her from unit one, and that proceeds to kind of reclose and go back to sleep. Literally. Like... And, yeah. And so then Asuka manages to, her and Unit 2 manage to get a hold of and attach the Tesseract to themselves, and so then they end up descending back down to Earth with it. And uh, Kaoru, he's uh, on Earth seeing it happen, saying that he's going to be excited to meet him. So a little foreshadowing there. Uh, so Shinji, he ends up being uh, essentially rescued from... Uh, within Unit 1's own core. Um, and he's... They, they say he's restored to his physical form by Villa, Misato's group, the anti-nerve group, which I'm not sure how you would go about doing that with technology at that point in time. I still feel like they'd never had anything like that. Yeah. I just assume that his form was restored while he was inside of the unit, period. That's kind of the way I kind of chose to look at it and kind of chose to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah that makes way more sense than... Yeah. Yeah. yeah kind It was kind of like great for me as well, but that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And so he finds out that he's now on board this ship, the uh, AAA Vunder, uh, which is currently using Unit 1 now as sort of its main power source and it's kind of this giant flying battleship designed to combat any threats, especially angels, but also to be able to um, go through a certain level of AT fields and to be able to travel within the different dimensions within the science fiction stuff and the lore in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, which we find out later on that uh, it was actually um, uh, Ryoji Kaji. Uh, so at some point, I, I want to say it happened probably some point early on during the 14-year time gap that he managed to successfully steal the AAA Wonder from Nerve and managed to bring it back to Villa. And that, along with all of its uh, data sheets and blueprints that it would need in order to hopefully stop... Uh, nerve in the future. With all the right specs. All the right, yeah, dude, like little <laughs> Pretty much. And yeah, so Shinji, they pull him out, and they, or Shinji, he, he gets pulled out, and they kind of help restore him back to physical health. Um, and then he's kind of given a brief rundown of what all's going on. He's given a physical exam by a Sakura Suzuhara, Toji's sister, uh, who turns out is much better now. Uh, from when we last saw her. Because uh, the only time we ever really got any mention of her, I think, was in the first movie. And they're like, hey, man, my sister got hurt in that last attack with the <laughs> angel. And so she turned out a lot better now. Uh, she's a medical team as a part of Misato's uh, villa group on board the AAA Wonder. And she ends up becoming, I guess, sort of like Shinji's chief medical officer. Like, she becomes the one sort of responsible for looking after him at that point. Uh, but then he's kind of given a much colder reaction, welcoming party from everyone else. 
They're immediately like the second he's brought on board Misato's captain's quarters. You can just see everybody's looking at him with these shitty looks like, how dare you even be alive right now? Like, well, damn. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. And uh, later, you know, Shinji is asking these questions. He's kind of looking around, and I think he kind of realizes at first, like, oh, hey, this ship, whatever it is, it looks like it's maybe underwater, which quickly, that changes very quickly. Uh, And so, yeah. Um, not gonna lie, I felt really bad for the guy. He's like, okay, yo, I basically just like woke up from a coma. What the fuck's going on? What's happening? And nobody's really giving him a straight answer either. Like, nobody is communicating with this poor bastard. He's just lost. And he's just lost. And we're all over here as an audience, kind of like low key lost with him. We're like, yeah, we have no idea what the fuck's going on either. Uh, we're here too, bro. <laughs> could somebody please give me Don't- an as what's going on so I don't like spiral and go insane or some shit or have a fucking panic attack god forbid and <laughs> I think at one point he did ask like hey should I pilot you know Evan Gilling unit one again and they're like from now on don't do a damn thing <laughs> like what? damn alright right. and notices during a later exam he's got this collar wrapped around his neck it's the uh DSS Choker, the stands for Deification Shutdown System. So basically, the way I understand it is essentially if a pilot of an Evangelion unit ever goes rogue, or if they go into a, are basically completely, not completely turned into an angel, but I guess if they're sort of corrupted by an angel, and it gets to the point where they're beyond recovery, the Choker will activate, or if they somehow become a potential fuel source for a future impact, so if they become like an impact trigger, then the choker, it'll activate and it'll explode and it'll basically destroy their head, separating their head from their body. So that's fun. And he's asking where Ray is the entire time. And, uh... And essentially, uh, I think this is when he's in the uh, sort of like the cell that they end up putting him in for a while. And so Ritsuko, the science officer, so she also has joined Misato's crusade with the uh, anti-nerve group Villa. And she explains to him that he can no longer pilot an Ava because his sink rate is apparently zero. Oof! Which I call bullshit. I was like, there is no way this guy can never ever pilot an Ava again. Fire, I don't believe that. Fire. Yellow flag. Yeah, but if he ever triggers an Evangelion unit's awakening again, then the bomb in the collar, the DSS choker, it will detonate in order to stop him. And so she's telling him all this very cold and bluntly, like, this dude's straight up like 14, maybe 15, if that. Like, Jesus Christ. And she ends up returning the only thing back to him that they were able to recover, which is the... uh, it's the SDAT. It's basically like that record, that track player that Shinji always carried with him that used to belong to his dad, Gendo. And Sakura ends up formally introducing herself to him, which leaves Shinji a little confused because he doesn't know that there's been a time skip. And then Asuka later shows up back on board the AAA Wonder with an eye patch over her face. Tells him it's been 14 years. 
that have officially passed while he was still stuck inside of Unit 1 and basically just, like, slams at the glass that's hiding him behind everyone else, kind of keeping him blocked off from everybody, and it ends up almost shattering completely. It cracks under the weight of her pressure. I don't know if that's just, like, a physical power upgrade that human beings who pilot Evangelion units get. Um, after their whole talk and confrontation, he kind of asks her why she hasn't aged at all, and she just makes a remark about how it's the curse of the Ava. Um, and then it's right around this time that uh, Shinji keeps asking questions, and once again, nobody is telling this guy a goddamn thing. This is on his he continue to choose to leave this guy fucking confused beyond belief. Once again, this is like some of either the worst character decisions I've ever seen, or just, I don't know if it's be- some partially bad writing or what, but I was like, I just remember feeling as frustrated as him the entire time, like, just someone give this man some answers so he'll be quiet and he'll maybe choose to help you guys out or something. But God oh, damn. Help him. <laughs> help this man understand it. Nobody is helping him understand. They're just being cold to him, telling him don't do this and don't do that. It's like, okay, well, why? Just give him a simple reason as to why. And so I think at one point he ends up like hearing a voice temporarily kind of calling out to him that sounds like Ray's voice. Even though it's not the ray that he thinks it is, it's just a cloned ray. And uh, sure enough, she shows up in the Evangelion unit, uh, it's the Mark 9, which, um, actually, I thought I wrote that. Yeah, it's part of the Mark series. It's considered one of the vessels of the atoms piloted by the Ray Ayanami clone. And so it shows up, blows a hole through his room, essentially and extends its hand out to uh, rescue him and bring him back to Nerve HQ or whatever's left of it, bring him back to his dad, Gendo, and his right-hand man, Foyutsky. Foyutsky, what a man. All the while, you just kind of see all of a sudden all these uh, guns from all the different ships firing off and trying to destroy it. And all of this not long after the ship itself had been reactivated and powered up just to get airborne and... Because that, that whole scene, they kind of skimmed through, but it was like before that, while this was going on, but before the talk with Asuka and everything, so the AAA wonder, they decided to power it up. And then they finally get it to like get out of the water and out of the ocean, and it actually is able to float and fly like a normal airship. Only it has this extra benefit added to it where it can essentially target a set number of different either people or vehicles. So in this case, it chooses a bunch of the different battleships with their allies on them around it, and it's kind of able to sort of generate like a sort of temporary, I don't want to say like an anti-gravity field, but it's like a field that allows all the other ships around it to also float with it, as long as it's in the ship's orbit and close proximity. So all these Villa forces kind of manage to get up into the air from the ocean and managed to survive being attacked by these pillars of light that kind of came at them earlier, which I don't know how that was a thing. They kind of skimmed that over too very briefly. It was like, oh, hey, we're under attack by pillars of light. Like, wait, how is Nerve, how is Gendo and Foyutsky, how are they able to harness these beams of light at enemies on this planet do they have satellites that help do that is it because of some kind of connection with the angels we have no clue they just kind of show up and then they get airborne and then they're kind of free and then from there that's when shinji does the whole official interrogation between him and misato and 
Ritsko, and then later Asuka temporarily. And so then uh, the clone Ray, she shows up to rescue him. Now the clone, the unit, the Evangelion unit's in, is taking shots from the different airborne battleships, firing their guns at it. And I'm pretty sure even later Mari gets in her Evangelion Unit 8 and whoops out this big-ass giant mech-sized handgun to try and stop it. Uh, but, and all the while, you kind of later see Misato show up right as Shinji is about to leave with the Evangelion Unit, and she's kind of got the activation trigger in her hand, the detonator to activate Shinji's choker and kill him. And at this point, like, her glasses, like, one of the lenses has been cracked off completely from the force of the explosion. And this is right when Shinji starts asking all the big questions, and he still wants answers, and they're not giving him any. And she's finally giving him, like, little breadcrumbs, essentially. And she's like, all right, yeah, no, we're not Nerve, we're Villa. We're Villa. Uh, now this is making any sense, we saw She's like, wait a second. If you pilot that, if you pilot another Evangelion unit, you know yada yada, don't be an idiot, don't be a threat to humanity. Kind of some something along those lines, essentially. And just kind of rattling off the usual shtick. And so then he kind of gets in the Evangelion Unit 9's uh, hand and then ends up leaving with it. And so, as that happens, before the hand fully closes, uh, Sakura Suzuhara, Toji Suzuhara's sister, tells Shinji, hey, just whatever you do, Mr. Akari, do not ever pilot Evangelion unit ever again. I don't think I could handle that again. And so we hear that, but we never hear the full reason for why she doesn't want him to pilot an Evangelion unit again until the next film. Funnily enough. Uh, but yeah, so he escapes, you know, Mari tries to get off a couple shots. Um, And once again, to no avail, they kind of fail to stop the Evangelion Unit 9 and ends up escaping successfully. Um, Misato once again begging him and just it not working out. And once again, Shinji, he's feeling overwhelmed, kind of feeling a little bit betrayed by the very people he called his friends, closest thing he had to any kind of a family, really, as far as his social bonds go with these yeah. people. Um, yeah. Leaving him in the dark like that. And so he leaves with the clone ray. Sakura once again begging him not to pilot it. And then uh, ends up leading him back to the ruins of the geofront in the terminal dogma of the former original Nerve HQ back in Japan. Uh, and successfully escapes. Mari fails to stop them with her giant mech handgun. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, kind of. That part kind of went like how I thought it would. I was just like, I don't know what you guys expected. He was looking for answers. There you was got a chance for him to get some answers because you guys weren't giving them to him. And as he's leaving with the Mark Nine going away, so then uh, Misato actually has a chance to detonate the collar, but you see her kind of hesitate on the button, and she ends up allowing him to get out of range, and then she's no longer able to activate the collar anyway. And so then, kind of Ritzko. And her kind of have a exchange about that briefly, and then they kind of get back in the AAA wonder and go back to work essentially. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so now Gendo, he's got this visor over his eyes, which we don't find out until later why it's there, um, and welcomes his son back and tells him that he still plans to enact the Human Instrumentality Project, which 
I can't remember if in the original NGE, if Gendo ever told Shinji about the instrumentality project at all or not. I feel like he never did. It was kind of just a plan that was there that was in motion, but only the people who knew about it knew about it. Uh, yeah, in this version, he straight up tells him, yeah, no, I have this plan to do the human instrumentality project, and you're going to help me. Despite the uh, organization originally behind it, Zella, they've been silent for years now, apparently, around the whole thing. And so Gendo tells Shinji that he's basically there to help pilot the new Evangelion unit, Evangelion Unit 13, alongside Kaoru, who is now there. Um... And while he's exploring Central Dogma, which is kind of that area with like all the menacing-looking pillars, which is kind of where the Ray clone ends up sleeping most of the time, if she ever does sleep. Uh, and he finds that she has no memory of Shinji and also still has a very limited understanding of the world around her, and just all that she does is she just, she kind of, she just follows orders, and that's really it. Yeah, that's about all. And then he kind of comes to the conclusion that she is not his Ray, the Ray that he saved. Um, and then later he goes to his room finally and realizes that the uh, record player that he and his dad uh, both once owned is broken. And so he just kind of sits in his room alone until finally one day he's kind of walking along the uh, one of these catwalks and he sees Kaoru and like the bottom level playing a Yamaha piano. You can't tell me that wasn't some form of product placement there. 100%. <laughs> he's trying to deal there, man. Yeah, which, not gonna lie, they're actually really good pianos. Uh, so for anyone out there who can actually afford a Yamaha piano, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. Although I I do believe the largest model of piano that you can get is referred to as a Vincent de Fur or something like that. I'm probably butchering the hell out of that. Um, Anywho, um, any company that makes pianos to mo motorcycles, I had to say they do pretty well. Yeah. So, Kaoru ends up kind of inviting him to play a piano duet with him, but it's all completely, you know, from scratch. Like, impromptu just, alright, here we go, we'll see what happens. They're just playing random notes to see what they can come up with. And so then they end up playing an actual piano duet, uh, in which this helps the two bond later as characters to one another. And I gotta admit, it was kind of refreshing to see kind of him bonding with uh, another male character, which we kind of got like little glimmers of that with him and uh, Toji and Kinsuke. Yeah. And even, I guess you could argue to an extent, uh, Ryoji, Kaji. Like in the second one, with that whole the fixing the oceans. Yeah, yeah. But this was kind of the first time we ever really saw like a deep personal connection, a genuine like close friendship being formed between Shinji and Kaoru here, which I thought they did an excellent job of showing that. Yes, they did. I agree. And, uh, so he ends up giving Kaoru his uh, track player, and he actually tells Shinji that he'll be able to fix it for him. And uh, the next day, Shinji is given uh, Tochi's school shirt uniform. Um, and so he's kind of worried that maybe his friends back on Earth didn't make it or something. But he's not exactly sure what's going on because, once again, he has no idea where everybody's at. He's, he's, still, he's still processing everything. Like, okay, so this organization Villa is a thing, and apparently 14 years have passed. He still hasn't gotten his bearings fully on that. 
Dude, I couldn't either. Like, could you imagine just waking up one day and it being 14 years down the road? Like, what? Yeah. Like, all your friends are either older than you, or they maybe died, or they just, they moved away, and you may never ever see them again. That's just a terrifying thought. See you later. Being left on your own, and it's literally, I feel like, FOMO. The concept of FOMO. Fear of missing out. But in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. And so... He he gets his buddy shirt, and that kind of makes him worried about what happened to all his friends. And later, Kaoru takes him to the ruins of Tokyo 3, where the uh, Lilith's black moon and the Earth's surface are now both covered with uh, these like red crosses. And the terrain's kind of been reshaped by these red crystals that all look like Evangelion units, which I believe in the fourth movie, uh, Kinsuke referred to them as, they call them as Wanderers, but I believe later on they're just referred to as the uh, Failures of Infinity, or okay. FOIs, but basically what that means is those Evangelion unit-looking corpses that are covered in, like, just, like full-on blood red, or at one point in time human beings, that's what I got out of it, or maybe a conglomeration of human beings. Yeah, yeah. Took the form of an Evangelion unit, so that's kind of fucked. Literally, what the... I was like, okay, at this point, I legit am trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. <laughs> I'm so confused right now. Yeah. And so, Unit 1, its awakening triggered what they refer to as the Near Third Impact. And then Kaoru explains sort of the... What the main goal of Nerve's Human Instrumentality Project is supposed to be, as far as he understands it, to be to Shinji, which kind of shocks the hell out of him once he hears about all these impacts. So basically, by killing all life on planet Earth, new life that's capable of bearing this term they refer to as the fruit of life can be created. And then we kind of briefly cut back to the clone Ray, who's currently resting in a tank of LCL, which she, it, they make it seem like she has to be in these tanks for a set number of time, but we don't know how much time she's supposed to be in a tank of LCL before she's allowed to physically walk out in the daytime with all the other normal people, you know, who don't rely on LCL in order to function and exist. Like how much time she's allowed to be out there in the real world with everybody else before she has to go back into the tank. We're never really fully told how long she can be out. Well, they do kind of just leave us in the dark there. Yeah, and so she ends up seeing a vision of uh, Ray that Shinji originally saw when he first came to Tokyo 3. And so, and then later, Kaoru, he ends up telling Shinji that he was a catalyst, if not the one, to all of everything that happened. And he just mentions to him that he just really only wanted to save Ray, and so this is kind of right around the time that Kaoru, I believe, is kind of like giving him like a grand tour of what exactly happened, because now that he and Kaoru have kind of become friends and have bonded together, he's trying to help give Shinji some clarity by giving him answers, which no one else up to this point has really done. They've kind of given him little tidbits of information, little pieces here and there, but nothing truly substantial to give him an idea of what the hell's happened. Kind of like, uh, just wetted his lips when he asked for a drink of water, man. Like, yeah. 
just left him hanging. Yeah, basically he ends up kind of giving him a tour, so Shinji ends up having to wear this suit. I'm assuming it's to help protect him from any potential radiation. And then he kind of goes down into this level of one of the abandoned areas of Nerve HQ with Kaoru, who apparently doesn't require a suit. And he shows him sort of the destruction left behind from the near third impact, and then later the actual third impact. And telling him, you know, once again, that he was the catalyst for it, and he only wanted to save Ray. Like, that's straight up, like, one of the last things he remembers before being brought to this version of reality. And so then he tells them, well, unfortunately, the human race, humanity itself, doesn't really see it that way. And later, we just kind of see Gindo and Foyutsuki kind of observing, um, observing Kaoru and Shinji. And referring to uh, Kaoru specifically as uh, Zella's boy. And then later on, at some point, uh, Foyutsuki ends up inviting Shinji to play a game of Shogi with him in order to help, once again, give him some answers as to what's going on with everything. And he sort of uses the game itself as a pretext in order to further talk with Shinji about his actual, his mother, uh, Yui Akari. Uh, even though her maiden name was actually Yui Ayanami. And so then he shows him a picture of her holding Shinji back when he was just a, a baby, essentially. Um, which, all of a sudden, you know, Shinji comes to the realization, oh, hey, Ray kind of looks like my mother. What's going on there? Mm. And then Fuyutsuki straight up just drops all the bombs on him, like, oh, by the way, turns out your mom's not dead. She's actually sealed away inside of Evangelion Unit 1's core as its control system. And uh, this entire time, your dad has been creating these biological clones of her. Which, the first Ray, the one that he tried to save in the second movie, were told is kind of like the original Ray. And then all the other ones, they don't really have a soul. Whereas the first Ray ended up developing a soul. And all the other ones were just kind of clones, and that was that. That's and, weird to think about. Yeah, yeah, because I'm assuming what happened was they were able to get their hands on some form of angel body parts and use that to create some kind of new technology, and through that they were able to generate these soulless clones of Ray that require being seeped in large amounts of LCL for we don't know how long. Yeah. But essentially in order to help sustain them. That's and, uh, yeah, totally fucked. It's I would argue the reveal is even more fucked up in the original uh, NGE series, if I'm being honest. Because I remember when they dropped that bomb on me, I was like, the actual fuck. <laughs> what in the fuck is going on in this anime? This is some absolute fuckery, and I'm not sure I appreciate it. <laughs> like, who is this? Like, you're telling me you have the audacity to try and pull a sh Shyamalan on me. This <laughs> plot twist that just pulls the rug out from under me and makes me go, with the fuck? <laughs> Easy in my Shyamalan here, Greg. And yeah, Gendo essentially attempted to try to clone his now considered essentially to be deceased wife and Shinji's mother. God, that's crazy. The, yeah, referring to the clone as Rei, which once again, throughout this series of movies, we were kind of being given these little tidbits of info, these like very brief flashbacks where it's mainly in dialogue where you kind of hear Gendo and Yui talking and they're like, all right, well, 
uh, Shinji if it's a boy and Ray if it's a girl. Yeah, I remember that. And so that was kind of, it's like, okay, so low-key, this is arguably, in a way, like, so it's a clone of his mom, but who took on the maiden name of his mom, but is also using the name, not just the maiden name of his own mom, but what would have been the name of potentially, if not himself, if he came out biologically from the womb, a woman, then potentially the name of a future sister, if ever end up having a sibling later on. So it's this whole weird thing now. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, it, it's, I mean, it's just hard to, like, because my brain's kind of pretty simple, you know what I'm saying? So just about trying to wrap my head around all of that, it's just like, dude, what? Like, what? Jesus like, H. <laughs> you know, like, um, do you watch Black Clover at all? Uh, Black Clover, Black Clover. Um, I think I've seen, like, a couple episodes, but it's been a hot minute. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I would probably have to start all the way over just to get an idea. Okay, so do you know how, like, in some animes, like, uh, like, with Tanjiro, okay, in Demon Slayer, when they start talking, uh, oh, shoot, when they start talking about, like, math or whatever, I can't remember. But he, it just overloads his brain, and his brain just starts steaming out the ear, you know what I'm saying? That's me. That's, that was literally me at that point. I was like, what? His yeah, goal no. is literally melting. I think for me, it wasn't until the fourth movie that I was officially at like that feeling of just like peak what the actual fuck. Like my brain is struggling to process all of this. Like you honestly, when you see this entire film series, it's, it's kind of brilliant when you get to like the end of it. But the fact that you kind of almost have to like rewatch all four films, like, you have to do two run-throughs of it just to fully appreciate it and get what actually is going on. Literally, dude. It's I, that's literally what I did, you know, even leading up to this third episode. So just recently, oh, the last month and a half, I saw the entire series, the one run-through for the review. And then while we were in between episodes, I was like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and re-watch all those movies again just to make sure I've got an idea as to what the fuck is going on. <laughs> you if you don't have notes, you're fucked. Yeah, and I literally have a whole thing of notes here with me, too, just in case to help get us through all this. Okay. So, to give you a rundown, so the first impact was basically considered to be, like, the uh, the meteor or the asteroid that essentially came down and impacted the Earth and basically was con- thought to be what wiped out all the dinosaurs. So that's widely considered to be the first impact. Uh, and then the second impact, that happened in the Arctic. That, so that was that whole thing with Misato's father dying and her surviving in a escape life pod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so when that whole thing happened, that purified the Earth's oceans. That's the whole goal of that impact. That's what it was supposed to do, anyway. Uh, so make it so that it purifies the oceans, so those with sin would suffer from it, essentially. So all of humanity and all life would essentially die if they drank from polluted oceans, polluted by the angels. Okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, the whole chorization and all that red shit that you see in the water and stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, basically, Shinji kind of comes to the realization that this entire time, his father's been attempting to clone his mother and his wife, and referring to the clones as Ray, and that the new Ray is just another one of these clones in what's referred to as the Ayanami series. And it ends up driving him to a near almost like full-blown mental breakdown 
of which later on he's kind of brought back to sanity once uh, Kaoru runs into him and he decides to intervene. And so then they kind of have this long talk in Shinji's room. And Kaoru ends up walking over to him and ends up taking the DSS collar off of Shinji's neck completely without it activating or exploding or anything. And then tells him that the collar, the DSS chokers, were actually originally meant for him. And then he actually ends up putting it on himself around his own neck. And he says that way Nerve will not be able to start a fourth impact this way. Although he never once mentions the organization Zella, who was technically the ones behind everything up to this point involving Kaoru's character. Or at least this version of him. Yeah. And uh, so the two of them, they're kind of told, so Kaoru's the one kind of letting Shinji know about kind of what the scuttlebutt is here. With the two of them being at Nerve HQ and that they're going to be the pilots for the Evangelion Unit 13 into terminal dogma and then going down there finding Lilith's corpse and then pulling out the Spear of Longinus and the Spear of Cassius that are supposed to be down there because there's two spears down there and those are the spears that Kaoru believes are still supposed to be down there that'll help them do what they're trying to achieve together as a duo. Um, unfortunately also, Kaoru, he states, he claims that the two spears, when used together, can be used to help undo all the damage that Shinji did to the world when he did what he did. And, of course, Shinji being in the position that he's in, he's like, oh, you're telling me there's a chance for me to fix and right all of my wrongs? Fuck yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Uh, where do I sign? Yeah, and so they enter the double cockpit, since it's a double entry plug system for Evangelion 13 or even activate it and pilot it. And so then the two of them, they hop into it. So Unit 13, it's referred to as an all-purpose decisive humanoid weapon. It uses two entry plugs. It does not have an AT field, though. Instead, it has these, like, uh, in its shoulder pylons, it'll release these kind of, like, balls of whatever the heck it is. I'm not exactly sure, but they're basically these little mechanical balls that are capable of generating these strong AT fields. So they're, like, mobile AT fields that can go around the unit whenever it's being attacked. That's pretty lit. Which is kind of nice. Um, it's referred to as one of the surviving atoms. So they took one of these surviving atoms and managed to turn it into an Evangelion unit. Um, not exactly sure whose soul is in it, though, that's allowing them to pilot it. That part I don't think I ever really fully found out. Um, it's referred to as the final executor. Or maybe it's executor. Um... And it later ends up being piloted by Gendo himself, who ends up willingly fusing his soul into its core. And that's why. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> once again, all these characters who somehow know all the cheat codes. So they descend into Terminal Dogma, Shinji and Kaoru inside of Unit 13, um, with the cloned Ray inside of her Evangelion Unit Mark 9. Uh, meanwhile... <sighs> excuse me? Meanwhile, um, I'll the AAA of Wonder, uh, Misato and her group of Willa members are alerted of an activation of an Evangelion unit, Evangelion Unit 13 specifically, and she decides to go ahead and dispatch both Asuka and Mari to Nerve HQ in Japan. Um, Asuka, she ends up being frustratingly surprised to find out that Shinji is 
going to be piloting another Evangelion unit again. And um, later, when they actually manage to show up, she asks him if he's trying to start another impact intentionally, in which Shinji tells her, uh, no, bitch, I'm trying to save the fucking world here. <laughs> <laughs> once again, nobody knows exactly the whole scuttlebutt as to what's going on down there, just that they can't afford to have another impact go off. So at this point, they've made it in Central Dogma, but also Mari and her Unit 8 is just kind of chilling in this crack in this crevice near the ceiling, kind of holding back once again, taking a sniping position to help back up Asuka if she needs it. Asuka shows up in Central Dogma, and she's actually kind of like on the ground fighting Evangelion Unit 13, trying to stop it, stop Shinji and Kaoru from pulling out the spears from Lilith's uh, corpse which is kind of that big, giant white thing that we see later. And I noticed that the Evangelion Unit 6 that Kaoru was originally piloting was on the top of that giant white mass, and it has the two spears impaled into it. Crazy. And so my thing is, I had no idea like what the hell happened there to cause all that to begin with. So all we know is that all that stuff at some point must have happened after the near third impact when they were able to successfully stop unit one from fully activating into a potential atom, even though it had already awakened. Uh, yeah. So, so Asuka confronts them, Shinji specifically. And so she's kind of flabbergasted and refers to him as a brat again, and just basically starts hurling insults because that's going to totally solve things. Yeah, right. Uh, which, that was, I think, my one frustration with these movies was Asuka was definitely a lot more just kind of, she stayed that same monotone, just kind of bratty character throughout. Although, mm -hmm. to be fair, she never, I guess, fully gave up on him, even though she made it seem like it. And so it's kind of a frustrating, you know, back and forth with her. And uh, so... Shinji and Kaoru, they actually end up successfully managing to reach the uh, body of Lilith, which is referred to as the second angel here, the uh, decaying body of Lilith, and its headless corpse, um, which is where the spears of Cassius and Longinus supposedly are resting currently in the abandoned Evangelion at Mark VI. Um, so then Kaoru kind of tells Shinji to maybe stop because he thinks something's wrong. Because the two spears look identical. And Shinji, while he's being distracted by Asuka and Mari's uh, showing up and trying to stop them. And later we see uh, Rey and her Mark Nine. She actually ends up setting things in motion. So then she whips out her giant Evangelion-sized, mech-sized uh, scythe. And then ends up essentially uh, beheading the Evangelion unit Mark VI. Ends up cutting its head off completely. This is, I believe, after they manage to release the spears from its corpse. And then, yeah, she shows up at the site. Beheads Evangelion unit Mark VI. And we come to find out that apparently the 12th angel was hiding in there this entire time. All the while, we still don't know where the hell the 11th angel was. The 10th angel we saw during the second movie at the end there. But we never saw the 11th Angel, so the assumption is that at some point down the line, the 11th Angel showed up and was killed by somebody. We don't know who. Somebody bodied it. During the 14-year time jump. Same thing with Mari's 
Evangelion at Mark 8, which they somehow, Misato's group, Willa got their hands on during the 14-year time jump. And then we're able to give her a new Evangelion unit to pilot. And so, anywho, so the 12th Angel comes out of the Mark 6. And at this point, Kaoru's very being insistent in that they stop, which ends up only pissing off Shinji because he's like, but I thought we were here to save the world. <laughs> and so Shinji just keeps going, taking full control of the Unit 13. And we find out that clearly Shinji's sync rate is not zero, so he can, in fact, still pilot an Evangelion unit. Literally, like, lion asses. And so he manages to, in his rage, cause the Evangelion unit 13 to awaken. And this causes it to unseal its other set of arms. So we see it grow an extra pair of arms, one on each side. So now two on each side, so for four. And all the while, Kaoru's controls are shut off, and he realizes that the Spear of Cassius is actually a second Spear of Longinus. How the hell did that happen? Right. Once again, we still don't know. Like, even I'm trying to figure out, like, how the hell does somebody, throughout all the lore in this thing, how the hell does somebody take a spear, which is considered to be one of these big, grand artifacts, and turn it into a secondary weapon? Like, how do you make another one? I was always told that made to believe that there were only a set number of spears, number one, and that that was that. Like, you had a Spear of Cassius and a Spear of Longinus, and that was it. But no, 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 somehow we have a second Spear of Longinus here. And, uh... So now, Kaoru and Asuka are both begging him to not pull them, which he ignores. They grow the extra pair of arms from the Evangelion 13 at Awakens, and using its extra arms... Now, two sets of arms, one for each spear. So Shinji ignores them, and they wrap around the spears. And then they pull with all their might, and next thing you know, the spears are released. And the Evangelion Unit 13 fully awakens. And it ends up becoming a giant being of light with two halos above it. And this is when we start to see the doors of Guth open up. So... There's Doors of Guth, and then there's the Chambers of Guth. Guth being a Hebrew word for body, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I guess in Jewish mysticism, uh, it's the Chambers of Guth. They're sometimes referred to as the Atzar. I'm probably butchering that, but uh, it's commonly referred to as a. It's like the Treasury of Souls, which is located okay. in the Seventh Heaven. And it's apparently a place where unborn souls reside, essentially. So, yeah, so that's kind of the whole scuttlebutt, uh, well, the lore kind of there behind all that, and I believe that's what it was supposed to be in the original NGE Evangelion. But anywho, this is a redo on all that, the uh, mythology and what have you. So anyway, yeah, so the doors of Guth open, so we kind of see this portal behind the Evangelion Unit 13 as it becomes this giant white being with these two swords and this halo. It starts to look really ominous looking, then it's like mouth opens up and shows all that teeth. Just all those teeth, just looking so ugh, menacing. All them teethers, and no yeah. teeth. And then we see kind of briefly in the background, there's kind of that object that I think I mentioned at one point, it's the go Golgothian object, which it's kind of just kind of there, sitting in its own dimension, in the anti-verse. Or the anti-universe, or something like that. 
because the doors have got for basically just a doorway to another dimension, essentially. That's kind of what I got anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all that's going down. And once that happens and the Unit 13 fully awakens and it has the spears and everything, the guff, doors of Guff open up and the fourth impact begins. So, fun times. It's a party! Yeah. And uh, so... Gindo starts deactivating the Zella monoliths in a preparation for the fourth impact. And kind of what I got out of that was maybe the monoliths themselves were sort of like a digitized version of maybe like the brains, like the living, uh, functioning thoughts and personalities of all these different people who maybe died or passed away or entered into some kind of like a cryo sleep or something. Who were the leaders of Zella? Because when he deactivates them, you kind of see these uh, they these brief white flickers of light from the monoliths that show kind of like what looks like a, an enlarged scan of a human brain, temporarily before they it all just kind of fades away when they shut down each monolith. So I thought, and then you hear. I'm pretty sure I thought I heard it was kind of like you know that the sound of like a flat line, you know, when someone. Yeah. Dies. And so I was like, okay, so basically these guys kind of took their unconsciousness, kind of their last living bit of themselves, and transferred it into these monoliths that could hold them, their personalities, and their beings, in order to oversee uh, Nerve's plans under Gendo's leadership. And then the members were just kind of like, all right, well, I guess this is it. We've achieved what we came here to achieve, and we are content with dying. You know, you take the floor, Gendo. That's kind of what I got out of it anyway. Yeah, so he starts kind of ripping the cords, and they all kind of go one by one. Um, and refers to the fact that apparently Zella are not human, and that they wish him luck, and mention their approval of his plans, getting his plans. So then a, uh, Unit 13 ends up rising into the sky, and Kaoru, he ends up revealing to Shinji that he was actually the first angel. And I believe in the lore of the original NGE series, Kaoru was kind of referred to kind of like as the, uh, basically the son of Adam, essentially. So he was an Adam-born creation, as all angels are, whereas humans are considered Lilins, uh, creations of Lilith. Oh, okay, okay. And since they're both these big beings, these seeds of life from other faraway galaxies or plants or dimensions. And so... Yeah, he refers to him that he is the original first angel, and that with the fourth impact going off and him becoming a trigger for the fourth impact, that ends up kind of casting himself down in his own rank, so he ends up becoming the 13th angel in an attempt to help reverse the fourth impact. And um, this is kind of when the choker, the DSS choker around his neck, um, it senses the power inside of him, and then it ends up starting, it goes through the process of priming itself. And all the while, uh, the headless Mark IX that the Ray clone was piloting, which is in Adam's vessel, at this point, it got its head taken out. I can't remember if it was Mari who shot it off, or if it was maybe Asuka that cut it off. Uh, I just remember all kinds of shit going down when that was happening. Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, it was, sometimes it was hard to keep track of, but yeah, so the headless Mark IX... The Adams vessel it um, attempts to retake the AAA Wonder from uh, for the Zella, 
uh, while Rage kind of sits in the entry plug, just kind of chilling. <laughs> oh, yeah. Clearly, I'm no longer in control of this thing anymore, but all right, whatever. So then Asuka, she ends up uh, successfully destroying the Evangelion at Mark Nine and manages to release the entry plug. Um, Kaoru, he ends up choosing to sacrifice his own life in order to help halt the fourth impact, because he is kind of needed in order to help it fully activate. Um, but it's only accomplished, really, when Mari, uh, realizes that Zella was still in the process of using Shinji for their plans, and then so she ends up successfully, uh, releasing his entry plug, uh, and then Evangelion Unit 13 ends up falling to the ground, essentially destroyed. So at this point, Shinji watches as Kaoru, his, the collar fully goes off, completely activates, primes itself and goes off. And it ends up obliterating his head pretty much from his body. And so now there's just all this blood everywhere, and Shinji basically just watched a dude lose his head right in front of him. <laughs> this person that he built this huge, you know, fundamental relationship with socially and that he had become close to and for me it was really hard especially during the scene when they were kind of underneath the stars together and they just kind of sat there for a bit and just talked and looked up at the night sky yeah yeah that, that was like a real bonding moment between those two characters that i thought really stood out in all of these movies and then just to see that happen and to see him go out like that in such a violent death as well i just thought that was so fucking brutal brutal <laughs> like, jesus christ so he dies, and, and in doing so, manages to help Shinji prevent him from creating another impact. And so when this is going down, though, I'm pretty sure at this point in time, they're actually like in the air. They're like outside of Nerve HQ. They're officially like in the airspace of what is Tokyo 3. And so Mari, while she was still in her Unit 8, she found the Unit 13 and was able to get a lock on its position pulls the entry plug out and sends Shinji and the entry plug flying away to some far-off destination. And I'm pretty sure she was only able to do this because she only had a set amount of power left in her uh, Evangelion unit before she had to return back to base. Um, so the 13 drops to the ground. It's considered destroyed at this point since neither pilot can function. One's dead and the other gone with its entry plug. Freaking um, so it's obsolete and Misato and Gendo. So Misato and the AAA Wonder, they both end up retreating as well as uh, Gendo, Shinji's dad. So they leave. Um, and a certain amount of time later, so Asuka and her Evangelion unit apparently managed to run out of power. And so she ended up releasing her entry plug and ended up leaving her entry plug and later ends up finding Shinji kind of hurled up at the end of his own entry plug and ends up dragging him out of his entry plug and through this red colorized desert, essentially from what it looks like. And then later we see Ray since her entry plug was also fired out after her unit was destroyed. Then it landed somewhere not too far from them. So then the clone Ray, she ends up following behind both Shinji and Asuka and ends up following them to wherever they're going. Uh, Asuka obviously trying to lead them to the nearest outpost that's an ally outpost that would help members of Villa. Um, and she ends up saying that they're uh, going where the Lilin are, um, referring to potentially Misato or the other members of the Villa organization. 
And that's essentially, in a nutshell, uh, the gist of that whole movie. Yeah, that was a very. It was a very confusing movie for me. Yeah, it was like okay, so the first movie that kind of makes sense. The second movie, you know, up until like that very end, you know, a lot of what was going on also for the most part made sense. They just character swapped some bits in the story. So like when Oscar's in the uh, unit three, that ends up going berserk, and Shinji's instructed to destroy it. That it's the ninth angel. Uh, originally in the NGE series, I believe I already told Austin this, but so it was actually Toji Suzuhara, so he was the pilot in the unit when Shinji had to do that. Oh, okay. That's Only, so yeah, so in that movie, they just, it was a character swap, so they swapped out Toji for Asuka. And so that made it even more fucked up, because it was somebody that he was starting to actually become very close with very quickly. Somebody that he'd be piloting with. Yeah, the, the yeah, that uh, that third movie was kind of the start of a lot of the confusing stuff. I think for me, I would argue it's maybe the most confusing now that I think about it. Because during all the events of, so all that stuff's going down Central Dogma, but then at some point later on, the uh, Black Moon, we start to see that kind of rise up into the sky, and it's kind of this like mechanized-looking thing. It almost looks like a screw at the bottom and the top, but then the insides are kind of eaten out of. Does that yeah. make any sense? It was like that spiral design. So that was, I believe, said to have come from the original NGE lore. That was like the pod that uh, Lilith had come down to Earth with. And originally Adam was supposed to come down to Earth, but instead it was Lilith. And so each one of these seeds of life, grandiose beings capable of creating life, they usually come with their own sort of moon. Adam's being the white moon and Lilith's being the black moon. And they each had, like, their own spear. Which was a weapon that was designed to essentially, if not outright, kill one of them as a being, like an Adam or a Lilith, a seed of life. If it couldn't kill them, it at the very least would be able to permanently stop them from doing anything, as long as it stayed impaled in them. Yeah, 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 like I, uh, I don't even know. Like, uh, yeah. Night and Superman. Yeah. So all that's going on, and then, so... The action starts going outside of Nerve HQ, and suddenly everybody's in the air, and Asuka, so she ends up running out of power, and that's why she ends up leaving the Evangelion unit and her entry plug. And Mari, I'm pretty sure she ended up retreating back to uh, the AAA Wonder with Misato and the Villa crew. And uh, after rescuing Shinji, and I think she said something along the lines of uh, learn to kind of maybe grow up a little and learn what it means to maybe be a man or an adult, something like that. Along the way. And she always refers to him as, like, Doggy Boy or something. Yeah. Like doggy, like, I'm coming for you, Doggy. And it's kind of cute seeing the, you know, the tit-for-tat between her and Shinji. And I, I could have sworn there was, like, a picture. I think it was when Foyutsuki was talking to Shinji earlier about everything, when he shows the picture of his mom and his dad and him in the picture. And... He's there, obviously, and then you see a character who kind of resembles Mari, and so the idea is that maybe she was somebody who was a friend to Gendo and Yui the entire time, but she stayed as an Evangelion unit pilot for yeah. who knows how many years, and because of that, she never really aged. But then, of course, that's my whole thing is, okay, so around that time when she introduced Gendo to Yui, they were all in college. 
So I have no idea how old they were when that was all going down. I'm assuming they were maybe like, what, 21? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe. 21, 20, 21. Because Misato, I'm pretty sure in the original timeline before the time jump, she was like 27, I think, 27 or 28. Okay, yeah. so, so there's a chance she could be like 21 to maybe like 24. It, it's really hard to get an age range on some of these characters and where they are at. Because it's like, technically, Shinji should be this old, but because of him being an Evangelion pilot and the curse of the Ava, he's still in a non-aging 14-year-old, 15-year-old body. And then Asuka and everybody else. But yeah, no, it was definitely trippy for sure. Um, I still think it cohesively, it all still makes a little more sense than the original series, just because once you do get to a certain point in the original Evangelion series, you're just kind of like, what the fuck's going on? Literally. At least with this, it's a little more linear and kind of straightforward. You know, there's a bad guy, there's a good guy. This is who we're trying to stop. And, yeah, no, because I believe Kaoru's death in the original series was, it's pretty similar, but a little more brutal. So he actually ends up infiltrating Nerve, and Shinji ends up having to stop him from going into their central dogma area. And it's at that point that Kaoru realizes what would happen if he went through this plan, and he actually kind of has this come-to-Jesus moment and realizes that what he's doing is wrong, and he decides to not go through with it. But because of that, Shinji ends up catching up to him, and he kind of has him in his hand, kind of wrapped up like a fist, telling him, you know, why, because in that series he also had started to become close to Kaoru. And he's like... Uh, he was just kind of giving him his reasons for why he was doing what he was doing, and it was just kind of breaking Shinji's heart a little bit, but then he saw him have the change of heart, and unfortunately, Kaoru was like, alright, well, Shinji, unfortunately, the only way to solve this is if you just straight-up kill me. And so then, the hand around Kaoru's body ends up, the Evangelion Unit 1 hand ends up actually fully, like, crushing his skull. <laughs> and it ends up beheading his fragile body, and then you see the rest of his body actually, like, slip out of the hand and crash to the floor or whatever however far down of a drop that was and it's it's bad i would argue it's just as brutal as the death that we got in this one although i feel like this one's a little more brutal just because of the actual beheading itself and the explosion and the yeah. amount of blood and gore whereas in the original series you didn't really see any blood when that happened it just kind of the fist yeah. closes and you hear a crush sound and you just kind of see the rest of his body kind of fall to the ground while the head is crushed in the fist of Unit 1. Rather, and then, freaking, rather than that, his freaking head just explodes right in front of you. Like, bruh. And the blood's all still there. It's like slicked along all the sides. Bruh. I was like, Jesus Christ. So this kid just became close to somebody who we thought was going to help him potentially, you know, save the world or help revert the world from the damage caused by the impact that he had created, which was the near-third impact. And then, apparently, at some point in time later on, there was a third impact, which you find out later on is what uh, took the life of Kaji, Ryoji Kaji, uh, Misato's uh, kind of on-again, off-again lover, and also the father of their son. <laughs> and you kind of just see him enter into one of those like uh, ships that we see at the beginning of the first movie when the first, or I guess technically it's the, I want to say it's the third, yeah, third or fourth angel ends up attacking Tokyo 3. 
and they just kind of those hover ships kind of start moving away. So we see Kaji enter one of those, mentions how he's going to help stop the third impact, which he does, which we're never fully told what that was, just that I guess uh, at some point uh, Lilith kind of corrupted Unit uh, 6, and that helped sort of start and trigger the additional, the third impact. And so all that stuff we saw at the bottom of that pit in Nerve HQ and Central Dogma, I believe, was kind of the result of the fallout of the actual third impact. But, uh, yeah. It's uh, some fucked up stuff all around, um, I gotta say. I, I do feel like the shining moment of this whole movie was, once again, the bond between uh, Shinji and Kaoru, his character. I think outside of that, this movie was kind of... It felt a little flatter when it came to a lot of the other characters, although we do kind of see uh, Foyutsuki, Gindo's right-hand man, kind of grow a bit of a guilty conscience. And so he decides to give Shinji some very hard, disturbing truth bombs dropped on him to give him an idea of what all's going on. Dude, I just... This whole movie, though, I can't help but just feel so terrible for Shinji, bro. It's like, yeah, no, because they started out in that first movie, you kind of are annoyed with him, he's just, he kind of comes off as this pathetic character, and then you're kind of like, okay, well, so now, is it entirely his fault, or is it because of all these people and the way that they keep treating him? Literally, and it's... it's... Literally, the, the whole, the hedgehog's dilemma, like, when I heard that, my heart broke a little, I was like, god damn, I, I kind of feel like I know what that feels like, it, it's a struggle, man, it really is, especially in the States nowadays. Literally. Literally. Just not so much the process of making friends, because it seems like a lot of these days we kind of have to rely on people we knew in our past, so a lot of older friends, in order to maintain those relationships, because it seems like new friendships are extremely difficult to initiate here in the States. And then on top of that, just relationships also, so like uh, either platonic or even romantic ones, it's just everybody's kind of at each other's throats a lot. So yeah, it kind of. I think these movies were pretty rough to go through, and that they're kind of depressing in the way that they kind of show a little more reality toward the idea of human relationships and kind of the social interactions between various peoples, and that it clearly is not just a feeling that someone from one culture can experience, but that anyone from any culture and any country can feel. Yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, yeah, it's it's some rough stuff. Oh, rough. But, uh, yeah, I'll say unless you, I don't know if you had any other stuff. Maybe you kind of want to add toward the end here, or not really. No, um, I would. Other than like, I really like the anime uh, and the movies and stuff. Like, I love it. I like the whole mech thing. Um, yeah. It's just, it, it's just confusing a little bit. Um, yeah, but... no, it definitely requires a second viewing, which is a little frustrating. But at the same time, it's like you kind of get to experience it all new again, because now you kind of have an idea more as to the lore and what's going on. Yeah, and I think the second time around, it'll be a lot better for me. But, I mean, I did not like it, um, or anything of that nature. I had a good time watching it, and it was it was, it was really cool. I, I, I really like um, anime that's not, like, afraid to hold back on, like, gore and blood and stuff. And they right. Tackles a lot of mature themes and subject matter. I think it tries to handle it in a very graceful way, or to the best of its abilities, anyway. And uh, honestly, I didn't really care for Shinji at first, but like he yeah. sucked on you. Um, and uh, I, just, I feel the whole time I just felt so terrible for him, man. Like, 
Well, it feels like it's a tug and pull with this character the entire time. So, in the first movie, we didn't really care for him that much until maybe the end of the movie, and then even then, you know, debatable for some folks. And then the second movie, we start to kind of see him progress a little more as a character socially, and I think this is kind of where the original series kind of had an advantage, because it did kind of help flesh him out more, and it showed him, you know, cooking for all his friends and family and whatever, and I think they kind of like had more extended scenes and sequences of that, so it kind of helped build up the emotional center of his character more, and it shows that when he does have these opportunities for connection with people, it really does do something good for him. Yeah, because, you know, I think with the... Yeah, it would help him a lot. And, yeah, so, like, with the second movie, I feel like that one kind of helped further strengthen him as a character a little bit more, and we kind of saw him in his interaction with the Mari character, who, in my opinion, I would say is probably my favorite out of all these movies. That's probably my favorite character out of all four of them, is Mari, illustrious Makanami. <laughs> yeah. She just fucking cracks me. <laughs> I love her. Uh... But yeah, and so she's kind of like this one character, I feel like it's kind of like the one who's, she kind of starts out as just kind of like a little bit of a background character, she's kind of like background noise at first, and then she kind of slowly starts to make her presence known more and more, and she kind of seems like the character that kind of sticks by Shinji's side whether he knows it or not, and we're not fully aware of why that is exactly. There are rumors, kind of theories going around that, oh, well, maybe she made like a promise or something to Gendo or Yui to look after him if anything ever happened to them. Maybe she was like a godmother at one point or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. I have people that like babysitted me as like when I was at like eight years old that still like look out. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Well, she kind of flirts with him too, so it's like mm-hmm. maybe maybe it's because since they appear to be, she appears to be a little bit older than, him, but it's hard to tell because it seems like it's not by much. And they do kind of mention how I guess she at one point is kind of like a. And it's kind of hypothesized that because of her name and the way it's all spelled out, that she might be uh, half Japanese and half British, which I thought was kind of an interesting mix for a character. That is, yeah, that is kind of... Like, okay, that could maybe kind of help fuel some of the fan speculation as to, you know, her origin story and stuff. I think that'd be actually kind of cool if maybe they did like a manga all around her character or something. Yeah, yeah something. Maybe there is, and I'm just not aware of it, but yeah. Anywho, uh, I feel like that might be all the time we have, unfortunately, for this one. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's 8.30. Because yeah, it's, yeah, it's 8.30, and I still got to... There's some place I got to be. I've got to get uh, some stickers for my license plates and stuff. Make sure I'm not pulled over for that. Yeah, well, you better get the going, buddy. All some right. um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, everybody, I guess that'll probably do for uh, today's episode of the Anime News and Reviews podcast. Uh, so we just completed our review of... Evangelion 3.0, you cannot redo. You cannot redo! And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, see you in the next one. Um, we have, I guess, in that case, just one episode left to go, which will be the uh, Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 Thrice Upon a Time, uh, which will be us covering the ending of the series. And uh, outside of that, we may have either another news episode for you, or maybe we'll actually get around to the uh, trivia episode at some point. Ooh. I would really love to do that. Oh, yeah, that would be fun again. Hell yeah. So, well, thank you guys. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. I was just saying thank you. And, uh, we miss Speedy, but we will have him back soon. And, uh, yeah, dude, I'm excited. This is, I'm excited to um, elaborate on the end of this anime. It's cool.
Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, stay weebish, and I guess we will see you all later. <laughs> I'll finish saying. <laughs>